Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. This is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And one of the topics that we talk about from time to time is grief. I'm so happy to introduce you to Margot Folks. She is the creator of Saltwater, a resource blog and online community for anyone who has lost someone dear to them, a child, a spouse, parent, sibling, dear friend, even a pet. Saltwater also has resource pages for suicide loss, drug overdose, dementia, and people looking for ways to support a loved one who is grieving. It is visually beautiful and it is free. Margot, thank you so much for joining us today. Sheila, thank you so much for inviting me to join you. I always like to tell people about our connection with one another so that we can just show the three degrees of separation or probably only two in this circumstance. Why don't you go ahead? So we have actually a couple of connections, Sheila. Um, We both have daughters that are the same age and who just missed each other in junior high school. Then we moved to California to be closer to her brother, Jimmy, as he started college, just as your daughter was starting eighth grade. And then after our son passed away, my husband and I spoke at the Hero Gala for the Children's Cancer Association, and you were the MC that night. So mm-hmm. we, we have all these different connections and these sort of just misses, if you will, where we were in the same room or almost like in the kids, almost in the same school. I want to talk more about your son Jimmy's death uh, at the age of 21 from brain cancer. Um, what did you do to prepare yourself for the inevitability when you could tell that you were not getting ahead of the cancer and things weren't going well? That's a big question. We spent the eight years that he had cancer really living in the moment as much as we could. We also, I think, really tried to maintain hope all the way through. I mean, it was a lot easier in the earlier days when things looked better, but even as the scans got worse and and I started to have a sense that this was not going in the right direction. We always felt like there was one more treatment, one more option, you know, one more reason to be hopeful. I think the big shift was when we had the final really bad scan in January of 2014. And his nurse practitioner, Shannon, told me that it was time to tell him that he was going to die. That, that was really the big turning point because until then I sort of had a sense that that's where it was headed, but it felt like it was still out there in the distance. And, you know, she said she was right. I mean, she was right. She said, you know, you, you don't want him to lose that time. You want him to have that time to use as he wants to use it. And you've got to tell him because he's taking his cues from you And you've always been really hopeful, appropriately so. But if you don't tell him, he's going to assume that there's another option, another treatment, and that this isn't going to be the inevitable outcome. How did you have that conversation, Margot? So I put it off for at least a few days, if not longer, because I couldn't figure out how to bring it up. And it was Jimmy actually who, who opened the door to that conversation because we were sitting together in the room, in our guest room where he was staying at that point. And he had been catheterized because it was just hard for him to get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom. And he started talking about how much he hated it and he was really excited to get it out. And he, and he said something else about when that was gonna be. And then he looked at me and he said, the catheter's not coming out, is it mom? And I paused and he, he, you could, I could tell that he knew at that point because of the look on my face. I just couldn't hide it. And so I told him that, that no, it wasn't coming out. 
because he was he was going to die. Or you can imagine, Jill, it was horrible. We both we both cried. Um, my husband came in a couple minutes later and he was crying. And but uh, we would not have had the final three weeks that we did if we hadn't told him. On the other hand, what what occurred during those final three weeks that's important for other people? to realize happens when you have this atmosphere of open communication, of honesty, and of that true empathy and compassion for one another? Because I'm sure your son also had it for you. You were a mother losing her son. So I think it was what Shannon said, that it gave Jimmy the opportunity to, to say what he wanted to do for those final weeks. But it also gave the people who loved him most the opportunity to see him. And that's what would have really, that's what would have been robbed had we not told him. So he made a list of 10, 12 people that he really wanted to see. And I remember saying to my husband, I am so worried about this because they were all over the country. It was our best friend, Howard, who lives in New Zealand. Hmm. I thought, how are they going to do this? Hmm. And yet every single one of them got on a plane and came and saw him. Wow. And it was just an honor to be in the house during that time and have all of these people come and and be with him. And what he would do is he would he would get into bed because the cancer had a, had by that point had had a pretty profound effect on him. So he was he was mostly using a wheelchair, walking a little bit, but he would get settled in bed at night and then whoever was staying with us would go into the bedroom and and Jimmy would take that opportunity to tell that person how much he loved them and, ha- and how, what they had meant to him. And, and the, you know, it was just the, of course, we weren't in there. They were one-on-one conversations. But the, you know, friends and family would say later that it was just something, they would, something they'll take with them the rest of their lives, wow. those conversations with him. And, yeah. you know, somebody said to me, did you tell him to do that? I said, no. I mean, that just, that was just Jimmy. Wow. That that was something that he instigated because it was really important to him to tell the people he loved most that he loved them and why. Margo, one of the things that I always hear is when they say the very worst thing that, that can happen is for a parent to lose a child. I couldn't go on if I lost a child. And I was kind of like, I'm afraid you do go on because <laughs> parents who lose a child don't have a choice, Right. And mm-hmm. so when people said that to you in the wake of Jimmy's death, and I'm sure there was someone who said it, if you didn't just hear it at large, how do you respond to this idea that it is the very worst loss that you can endure and that you shouldn't be able to endure it? You find a way. Yeah. I mean, you, I think you connect with other parents who've also lost a child Somebody said to me recently, which I really loved, she said, the way that I have survived is I connected with people who were stumbling along the path with me. I found parents who were out in front of me who could light the way. And she said, and as I moved along the path, I looked back and I reached back to help the parents that were coming behind me. Mm, beautiful and she metaphor. said, that's how I, and I thought, that's it. That's, that's really how you do it. Cause I remember asking Regina Ellis, our mutual friend who mm-hmm. founded and runs children's cancer association, how am I going to survive this? She, you know, she lit the way for me. 
and and said you will you will find a way to keep living one of the most beautiful things that you did because you're obviously very effective and highly organized is created saltwater which is this online community for people who's lost someone who's dear to them and i'm just wanting you to kind of talk about from its origins to what it is now how has it grown and what has it turned into for folks So it started for me as a place to write, I think, because writing was something that was from the beginning was really healing for me and a way to process. But I also wanted a place where grievers of all kinds were welcome because I discovered after Jimmy died, how much judgment there is in grief. So when your child dies of cancer, people don't walk up to you and say, well, my God, why didn't you do X to save them. There's an acknowledgement that as a parent, you you do what you can. You work with the doctors, you show up in the hospitals, you know, you do all you can, but there's no expectation that you're going to be able to stop cancer Mm -hmm. from killing your child. But as I connected with other grieving parents and I talked to, you know, moms whose whose children had died by suicide, for example, or by drug overdose, the judgment in that that exists was just stunning to me. And so I wanted a place where people could come where it didn't matter what the loss was. Mm -hmm. And nobody was saying, oh, it was your dog. Why are you grieving about your dog? Mm -hmm. Because for some people that that dog may be so critically important to them. That may be that dog may be their whole family or their most important family member. And so I wanted space for everybody and every loss, regardless of where people were in their journey and regardless of what brought them there. You know, um, one of the things that you just said that I think is so monumental, especially around people's understanding of suicide, is that there is this belief that it can always be prevented, that there is always something more you could have done rather than it being the end result of a battle lost to mental illness. And I want to say it again and again and again, 90% of the time, it's the result of a battle lost to mental illness either inadequate treatment, treatment that doesn't work, lack of treatment, lack of even seeing it as a mental illness. And then also allowing people to understand that the mind of someone who is suicidal is the mind of someone who is so sick, they don't see other options. And so if we can begin to talk about it like that, I just, I'm still astounded, Margo, that um, 10 years into this work, that, that, that that stigma and that bias still exists. It's beyond me. I thought I could change it personally. Obviously I can't, but thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, And so when you go to saltwater, one of the things I love about it is that it's like a, a visually very inviting space, but how do you find your way to your specific people that you want to be interacting with about your grief and what's happening to you right then? You mean if you're if you're landing on the page as yeah. as a as a first time visitor exactly basically yeah so there's a couple of different ways when you land on the page there's a drop down menu that gives you options by type of loss yeah so if you're looking for resources for example that's where resources are for things like child loss pet loss loss to some drug overdose, that kind of thing. Yeah. And also in that same drop-down menu is a blog post index. So every single blog post that's on the website is categorized. 
So you can then also find the pieces that are about, you know, different folks who've lost pets, for example, or mm. different, you know, people who've lost someone to suicide, who've written a piece about that. Yeah. And then the other way to connect is on social media, on Facebook, particularly, or on um, Instagram. What have you learned about grief through this um, experiment and this wonderful offering of yours that has been universal to grief? Is there anything that is so similar in every category of grief that you could say, oh, yes, I recognize that. It's across the board. Everyone has that. So a couple of things come to mind. Um, one is, is that it's so important to say something, that mm -hmm. to acknowledge that loss and not just right when it happens, that's certainly important, but to bring it back up over time. And because so many grieving people will tell you that that first year, they get lots of cards and people checking on them. And then year two comes. I was just communicating with a father the other day whose son was killed. And he said, you know, we're in year two. It's if my son didn't exist. People don't bring him up or, or comment on him. So I think that's a huge thing is saying that person's name. And if you didn't know the loved one who died, like say you, you know, someone who meets me, for example, at, you know, and Jimmy has already died. It's such a gift to ask that person to tell you about the person who's died mm. in their life and what they were like, not, mm. not what killed them, you know, or, or how they died, but, but what were they like as a human mm. when they were, when they were living? What did they love? What made them laugh? What was quirky or funny or unique about them That's beautiful, so that you can Margo. talk about how they lived? One of the things that I always remind people is that, you know, people's grief in terms of how the support they need is no different based on what it is the person died from. So, you know, I was always like, why aren't the casseroles showing up when my late husband died from suicide? And it was kind of like, because, oh, people don't know what to do around suicide. But if people could understand that your grief is still exactly the same, it could have been cancer or heart disease or any kind of, of liver dysfunction but it wasn't. That doesn't mean that we still wouldn't appreciate the casseroles on the, on the doorstep, you know? So is there that kind of guidance for people about what to say and what not to say? Yes. There's actually a, a whole page of resources for what I call the people who love us. So mm. the people who really want to help, because that was the other thing I found is I was looking for resources just for myself, that if you Google what to say to someone who's had a loss, what you will get is just pages of what not to say, you know, the 20 things you should ever say to a grieving mother, that kind of stuff. And it's useless. Because if you were to look that up and then, and then talk to me, all you would be thinking about is the things that you sort of, you're not supposed to say, Right. Yeah. And so I really wanted to provide resources for people about what to say and what to do, because Beautiful. that's really what stops so many people from being supportive to us yeah. is that feeling of like, okay, well, I want to say something to Sheila about, about her, her former husband, but you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what to, what to say. How do I bring it up? And then yeah. they don't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. I know um, that many of the people who go on your site talk about the difficulty of returning to work and how awkward it is because when people don't know what to say, there is more tension about why you're back at work than there would be if they just said, 
I'm very sorry about your loss and how, you know, how can I help or offered some sort of insight into what had happened at work while you've been gone. Anything is better than that silent walk down the hallway where people stare at you. And so how much of the conversation revolves around people's wanting to get back in the flow of society and finding it super difficult because people are so afraid to speak to them? I think that's a big painful part of going back to work. It feels to me like there's a lot of conversation around bereavement leave mm. and the sort of HR side of loss. Yeah. And there's a lot less with regard to resources and training for managers and for employees about what do you do when someone who's grieving comes back to work. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that can be really helpful is to have a point person who's a close friend of the person who's grieving, who can be the one to say, you know, do you want people to bring it up? Would you prefer they not bring it up? Is there a time of day or a circumstance where you want them to bring it up? Mm -hmm. Do you need help with your workload? You know, is it too hard to be on the phone right now? And would you rather have Joe take your phone calls and you do more of the proposal writing right now? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things. Because I, I remember once doing a talk and suggesting that people, you know, offer their support and come in and, and offer their condolences. And somebody in the audience put their hand up and said, but I don't like everybody I work with. And I don't necessarily want everybody I work with coming in my office and saying, how are you? Because I don't necessarily want to talk to them. Mm -hmm. And that's where the idea of the point person came up for me is, is yeah, you really need somebody who can kind of give you permission. And then, you know, that that call that work colleague will welcome you coming in and either offering help or telling them how sorry you are. Yeah, that's so wonderful. I I think Bargo, one of the most beautiful things about you putting this out here, especially during COVID is because COVID has sort of heightened conversations around grief. People are actually willing to name it. It's like, this is grief we're feeling as a nation, as a world because of COVID. Are you noticing those conversations happening on your side as well? Yes. I think there's a greater comfort with using words like grief and loss than I've ever seen before. Mm -hmm. Um, Back when I started consulting and and started my consulting practice back in the late 90s, layoffs were were like a tool in companies' tool bags where it was, you know, you just lay 25% of your workforce off and it was a cost-cutting measure or a right-sizing. And then folks like me would come in and say, you know, to the team that was left, okay, let's talk about this and how are we going to rebuild and get morale back up and come together as a team. But I never used words like grief and loss, even though that's exactly what they were experiencing. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, as you and I've talked about, that's, that's much more common language, because I think there's just a greater acceptance that that that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to name it. And in fact, it's better to name it. Than to not. I'm just, um, we're out of time here, Margo, and I could talk to you forever. And I'm so grateful for you um, to for reaching out and letting us know about this. If you want to learn more about saltwater, you can go to findyourharbor.com. Once again, it's a resource, a blog, an online community for anyone who is grieving. And it doesn't matter what you're grieving. This is a, a place where you can go and be supported. Margo, it's been so wonderful to spend some time with you. And I really appreciate this site and everything that you're doing for anyone who is grieving. Oh, thank you so much, Sheila. As you know, I'm a huge fan of your oh. of your podcast and I share it frequently on Saltwater too. Wonderful. Yeah.